You are listening to the In Focus Church podcast with Pastor Brent Gerard. In Focus Church is a multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Evans, Georgia, with a mission to love God, love people, and reach the world. Be sure to like, subscribe, and leave a rating wherever you are listening, and follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at InFocus Church. We hope this message encourages you and leaves you feeling challenged to see God's kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. There are two categories of Christians, according to Anne Ortland in her book, Up With Worship. She says Christians can be grouped into two categories, either marbles or grapes. Marbles are single units that don't affect each other except when they collide. But grapes, on the other hand, they mingle juices. Each one is a part of the fragrance of the church body. The early Christians did not bounce around like loose marbles, ricocheting in all directions, but instead pictured them as clusters of grapes, ripe grapes squeezed together by persecution bleeding and mingling into one another. Fellowship and worship, then, is genuine Christianity freely shared among God's family members. It's sad to think of how many Christians today are missing that kind of closeness, where sermons and songs, while uplifting and necessary, they provide only part of a vital church encounter. We need involvement with others, too. So if we roll in and out of church each week without acquiring a few grape juice stains, then we really haven't tasted the sweet wine of fellowship. See, I would argue that this poetic expression challenges us as Christians to really consider and and examine ourselves to see if we are living out Romans chapter 12, verse 1. For it says, therefore, brothers and sisters, Christians, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. All that means is that if we limit our worship to God, to the lifting of hands, when we sing songs, then we're missing the point. See, God calls us to lay down our lives. And when we lay down our lives, submitting to the will of God in our relationships within the church and outside of it, with saint and with sinner, when we submit our motives to God to truly bring him glory as we reflect his goodness while pointing to his greatness, then this is our spiritual act of worship. This is what we're called to. And that is why this verse has served as the umbrella for our series, Worship in the Waiting, where so far we have looked at the worship postures and the responses and the choices of Mary and Joseph in this narrative of Jesus' birth. And this week we focus on the worship of the shepherds and the angels. And my hope is that with our time together we will see how worship can be shared and really compounded in a way that resembles this illustration of a cluster of ripe grapes producing that sweet and fragrant result for the glory of God. I hope we'll also see that as we respond to recognizing God's glory and goodness with worship, that this worship, yes, can be in song, but it can also be through our witness. And that's what we find as we get to our main text, Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 20. If you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn there now. 
I will be turning there as well so we can get there together. You might even beat me. Uh, but if you don't have your Bibles, then you can use the YouVersion Bible app or whatever Bible app that you download. In the YouVersion Bible app, we actually have the notes for this morning's message in there as well. And if you just opt out of both of those, then you can follow along on the screen. Chapter 2, verses 8 through 20. It says, in the same region, shepherds were, that is the same region being Bethlehem, shepherds were staying out in the fields and keeping watch at night over their flock. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy. Somebody say good news of great joy. All right. And that will be for all the people. Today in the city of David, a Savior was born for you, who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be the sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped tightly in cloth and lying in a manger. Suddenly, there was a multitude of the heavenly host with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to people he favors. When the angels had left them and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. They hurried off and found both Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. After seeing them, they reported the message they were told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary was treasuring up all these things in her heart and meditating on them. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had seen and heard, which were just as they had been told. So this is our main focus We're going to look at the shepherds and the angels and their responses, which chronologically in the text, the shepherds have uh, are are the central figure and then the angels. And then we'll end it by focusing on the shepherds again. And so starting accordingly, let's look at these shepherds who were going about their mundane work. Well, Pastor Robert did a great job in the offering, uh, helping us to even put into uh, a frame or perspective what it looks like for us to go through our mundane day-to-day work. Where for these shepherds, we need to understand that this isn't just our, or, or our 21st century idea of farming or, or shepherding. But this is based on what the, the customs were and the agricultural ways were in this time. Where shepherds, especially in this uh, Jewish tradition, these shepherds were considered morally unclean. That according to the Mosaic law, there were were, uh, expectations for the people to be clean in the sight of God and ceremonially clean. And these shepherds, any shepherd, would not have been able to uphold that simply by the nature of their work. The sheep were dirty, but then as they're trying to protect sheep and take care of sheep after they bled and and put themselves in dangerous situations and, and scuffed themselves up, these shepherds would have been tending to these wounds. And so they were unclean, and because of that, they were untrustworthy in the eyes of the people. Shepherding was a despised vocation. A lot of the commentaries uh, reference it by saying, hey, it's kind of like like garbage men today where no disrespect to that vocation, people of that vocation, but it is a vocation that most people would say, I don't want to do that for my life. But shepherding would have made these people social outcasts. They were lowly and humble which should stand out to us that God chose for these men, these shepherds, these people, these outcasts, to be those to whom the angel presents this message 
of good news and great hope. That God loves and pursues the lowly and the humble. He's not biased towards the rich or the elite within society. But also, it's important to note the context that these aren't just typical shepherds. But that because this region is Bethlehem, that these shepherds are actually tending to what would be eventually sacrificial lambs. And so it's pretty ironic that God would speak to the shepherds of such sacrificial lambs and proclaim this blessing, the announcing of the good news of the birth of the sacrificial lamb. It's all intentional as Luke writes this and as God orchestrates this plan. But this divine encounter for these shepherds occurred during their day-to-day work, which made me think for a second. It says that it happened at nighttime. And if you're anything like me, when you're going about your day at your jobs or maybe even at home, when you're focused on trying to get that laundry done or, or do the dishes or whatever chore, or maybe it's just getting the kids to bed, that you start to get pretty impatient, Even so much so for me that when we pray with our girls, they're in that stage where they can't go to bed. So we finish our prayer and say, amen. And they say, but what about Margie? And what about Martha? And what about Susie? And I'm like, I don't know any of these people. We're not going to keep praying for people. It's time to go to bed because I'm focused on the task, getting them to bed. But it causes me to think. Do we make room for encounters with God throughout our day? Or do we settle for our quiet time with God in the morning as though God is content with meeting us and speaking to us once every 24 hours? Do we approach that quiet time in the morning and then coast throughout the day saying, I've got my Jesus fill and I don't need to be patient throughout the day. I don't need to take up the word and obey it as it calls me to pray continuously. I don't need to slow down and make time or make a posture of heart that would say, God, whatever it is that you want to say at lunchtime, at dinner, in between these moments, whatever it is that you want, your will be done. Speak. Do we come to him with expectation? See, because we don't see exactly what this, the conversation uh, was for these shepherds before the angel encountered them. But we see at least that it was in the mundane moments where they could have overlooked this angel. Man, what's going on there? I ain't got no time for that. I got to do my work. That they slowed down and listened to what the angel had to say. It makes me think of this phenomena that maybe you have heard of or experienced yourself where we tend to see more of what we are setting our hope in. So for me, I first experienced this or recognized it in college when I was uh, about to pay for my own first car. It was a, a 2000 Honda Accord. It was gold. It was the special edition, which I felt so uh, significant about. I thought I was driving in luxury, even though it was a 10-year-old car. But I, I nicknamed it Goldilocks. And, and in the process of me trying to figure out, should I buy this car? I was praying, like, God, show me. And then I started to see so many Honda Accords on the road. I was convinced this was the Lord saying, that's your car. And thank God that now I understand that's not how God works. But thank God he didn't say, oh, no, it's the the 7 Series BMW because I would have been convinced that, that that's what I want. And that's what God wants for me. It's lining up. But again, God doesn't work like that. So, so don't, don't get it twisted. But I think it's 
worth acknowledging that in a, a lighthearted sense that that is a, a it's a, a, oh my gosh, I can never remember the phrase for it. But there's a certain psychological, sociological phrase to explain that, that you will see more of what you're desiring, what you're putting your hope in. And it doesn't quite mean that there's all of a sudden more Honda Accords on the road. It's just you're noticing what was already there. Your senses are heightened to it. And we can respect that while also acknowledging the reality that according to Scripture, when we set our minds on things above, that when we fix our eyes on Jesus, God will give us more of himself. That that is his call, his desire for us. That when we take, take that morning quiet time or, or position ourselves at lunchtime to say, let me do a little devotional before I get this lunch. Whatever it is that you're setting aside time for, but if you continue on throughout your day trying your best to seek after the Lord, he's not going to say, no, 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 just wait till tomorrow. He's going to give more of himself. Another way to say this is that encounters with God reveal more reasons to worship God. That the more that I am aware of God's presence, when I get on Marco Polo with my friends, if I talk about the Lord at least as much as I talk about sports or food or video games, then I'm going to see more of him. And because I see more of him, I'm going to see more reasons to glorify and worship his name. I'm going to be able to give praises to God, not only for what he's done in my life, but simply because I'm asking questions and making space to listen to others and say, what is God doing in your life? How can I worship him with you based off of your answer? Do we converse with others to discover what they are learning about God and how they're experiencing him to the point that we give him praise together as grapes Not just marbles colliding, but we're wringing ourselves out every drop for the glory of God. We see that the angel, the angel, when he first encountered these shepherds, he had to comfort them. In verses 10 through 12, it says, but the angel said to them, don't be afraid. For look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today, in the city of David, a savior was born for you. Who is the Messiah, the Lord? This will be the sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped tightly in cloth and lying in a manger. See, maybe you've heard it said that, you know what, the reason why angels have to always tell whoever they're encountering that, hey, hey, don't be afraid, is because they are frightening. They look hideous. And maybe they do. We don't know. We could try to have chat GPT make a picture, but we don't know. But what we do know, what we see in the scripture is that even for Moses, when he was uh, on the mountaintop encountering the burning bush, that he was frightened. He was afraid to even look to the burning bush because he was afraid that he would die. Where that was the Jewish concern, the fear was that if they encountered the supernatural, some supernatural appearance, if they saw it and laid eyes on it, then they were sure to die. And so the first word of this gospel presented, this good news of great joy, is that the angelic evangelist says, fear not. I bring you good news of great joy. He's positioning his audience, these shepherds, to see something beautiful. And within this, we see that ultimately this interaction demonstrates that because of this birth of Jesus, 
Because of what he would do in his life, even through his death and his resurrection, Jesus, this is good news because Jesus would enable man to approach their maker and not in a dreadful way. They could have close access. They could be united with the Father. And it's all because of this Jesus. So these Jewish shepherds who were used to tending sheep for sacrificial purposes, they would have had some understanding of the Old Testament prophecies and the promise for the Messiah. They would have had some reverence for God. And it said before, this news that the angel brought is evangelistic in nature, that these shepherds are really the first recipients of this good news in the clear and explicit acknowledgement that Jesus Christ would be the Messiah. That the first gospel presented is Genesis 3.15. In the beginning, that in response to the, the fall, that God gave the promise that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. That's good news that God prophesied and promised even back in Genesis. But this is the first contextualization of the gospel. And God said, I want you to share it with shepherds, with lowly and humble people. Demonstrating that when people are lowly and humble in nature to desire God, not because they're just saying, ha, I think I might need God, but because God has revealed himself to them and drawn them unto himself, that those lowly and humble people who cry out for a savior, recognizing their need for him, that they will get to experience the fruit of this good news with great joy. Let's focus on that description Good news of great joy. It's it's not just any old good news. It's good news of great joy. I want you to think about the first time that you really started to understand this gospel and experience the joy and the delight and the cheer of God taking your burden of your sin from you. When you really started to internalize the height and the depth and the length and the width of his love for you. Think of your first experience of his great love and your recognition of his persistent pursuit. Knowing that you've given God thousands of reasons of why he should give you a stiff form and say, no, no more. But instead he pursued you with great love. This is the great joy that is available in this good news. But I think that although the angels understood this, I think that we tend to forget it. Where Pastor Brent talked recently that, that we have this tendency to settle for lesser joys in life and end up belittling the great joy that we have in the good news of our Savior's birth. Maybe at Christmas time, we try to bring it back up and say, oh, this is Christmas joy and you know, holiday cheer, but we're still getting it twisted and limiting it to a holiday as though it's not available to us every day of the year. When we do this, we treat the lesser joys of of our lives like the people who revel in the glory days of grade school. Maybe you've seen movies and TV shows of of people who who basically peaked in high school is the language they use, where maybe they are, are so overwhelmed by their successes or their feats and accomplishments or how good they looked or or how strong they were back in high school to the point where it almost seems like life is meaningless for them in modern day. Imagine a, a husband that, that shows no delight over the smile of his child or, or the warmth of his wife, but get him talking about his days on the football field in high school, and you see, it seems like he just got a lottery pick. Sad. 
just as sad as having a little child that is out playing with mud pies and you say, hey, come on inside, freshen up, and I'll get you a fresh slice of your favorite pie. And they say, no, I'd rather have this. It's pitiful knowing what joy is truly available to them. That as Christians, we should not be window shopping for joy and gladness and cheer because we get to experience it as those who have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. I think that in our tendency to overlook this, that we need to echo David's cry for God to restore to us the joy of our salvation. Being honest that sometimes our sin overwhelms us. That we get so focused on how much we stumble and fall and and how ill-equipped we are to earn our good graces with God. That we focus on our hands so much that we forget that the joy of our salvation is given. It's gifted to us. It's not something that we earn. Or maybe it's the concerns of life. When calamity is is around us that, that we forget that this good news is still supreme and worthy of a response of joy in our hearts and in our expression of worship, even through the sorrows. That's not to say that the sorrows don't matter or that we pretend they don't exist or that we even experience the blessings and say, oh, well, they don't really matter in eternity. No, we celebrate the wins and the victories and the blessings and the gifts that God has given us. And we also lament and mourn the sorrows. But we do both while still holding on to our eternal hope, our eternal joy, that our names are written in heaven, that we will spend eternity with our Father. In Luke chapter 2, verses 13 through 14, we see the angels, the angel now accompanied by other angels singing in worship. Suddenly, it says, there was a multitude of the heavenly host with the angel praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to people he favors. That phrase heavenly host basically means angelic army, an army of angels, where there's a a paradox there that there's an army, armies typically being associated with violence and war, but this army is singing of peace. And not in the sense of of earthly peace, that we want peace on earth like we see in every movie and TV show. But we see that they're singing of peace with God. There's awareness of what is to come in the future because of Jesus' perfect life and his undeserved death and his resurrection. That warrants the angels to say, we're singing and praising God and glorifying his name today because that Savior is born. The angels are saying that God will bring peace for men on whom his favor rests. Where there's an emphasis not on man, but on God. It is for those whom God chooses rather than those who choose God of whom the angels speak. If you are a Christian who has put their faith and their trust in the risen Savior, you've received and responded to this good news of great joy, then you are to join in the song of the angels. You are to worship Jesus for who he truly is. They recognized how worthy God was as the God of all salvation, and we should also realize the same because worship is the right response to recognition of God's goodness. When we behold God's goodness, when we see even a glimpse of his goodness, his faithfulness, his love, his compassion, his, faith, his presence, 
when we see a glimpse of it, that is worthy cause to worship. That is the right response. See, these angels realized that humanity was doomed, that there was nothing they could do to earn God's love. Just as you and I as Christians should, if we know Romans 3.23, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That Romans 6.23 elaborates even more saying, for the wages of sin is death. What you deserve for your sin is death. But that the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That we recognize that the supreme blessing received through the birth of Jesus Christ is our salvation. That man can be made, our relationship can be made right with God. That man can be forgiven. That we can experience intimacy with the Father. And when we worship God, yes, we worship through song. But these angels also demonstrated that we worship through witness. That these angels, they, they shared the good news of what was, not just what was to come, but what was, that the Savior was born this day. They witnessed, they evangelized, they told of God's goodness, they gave report, and the shepherds heard and received it, and they responded with great faith, with expectant faith. They quickly moved, ready to see what God had said to be true. What these angels understood was that the same intensity with which the the earth was doomed to receive the passionate wrath of a holy and just God, they understood that because of the Savior's birth, that now it was possible for this humanity to also or instead receive the passionate grace and mercy and love from God but only for those who are humble and make themselves low and come to him in repentance, crying out in desperate need for him. See, Pastor Brent has shared a story of a trip when he was in South Africa and he was on a safari of some sorts where maybe you haven't heard that story, but maybe you've been to the Riverbank Zoo and you've heard a lion roar. Maybe you haven't, but maybe you've seen the animal planet. Or maybe you haven't, but you've seen the Lion King. We're all, we could get there on common ground. Where if you've heard a lion's roar, you know how intimidating it is, how terrifying it is. Because you know that with that roar, first of all, you can't even quite judge how close you are to the lion. But when you hear it, you know how ferocious that lion must be to be able to get that much bass, to get that loud and that vocal. And you know that you fall as prey to that lion. So you're intimidated, you're afraid. But in Pastor Brent's story, he said, could you imagine what it's like to be a cub under the protection of that lion? How different it is to hear that roar, that instead of being afraid for your own life, that you feel the comfort and the protection of being underneath that lion. Where for the Christian, it's the same way with God. That because of our sin, we are deserving of the wrath that the, the lion roars and we as sinners are enemies of God. But when we receive this good news of great joy and we respond with faith and surrender and repentance, that we are made safe under the protection of that lion. That he roars and we are his sons and daughters underneath his protection. See, this pure unadulterated worship from the angels produced a response of worship in the shepherds. It shows that we don't just worship as singers, but we worship as witnesses. That the shepherds went on to examine what had been told them. They wanted to see and experience this good news of great joy. 
And we get to see how this worship, when it was producing expected faith, it ultimately compounded where it wasn't just the angels singing in unison, but eventually the shepherds joined in on the song. In verses 15 through 16, it says, When the angels had left them and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they hurried off and found both Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. See, this expectant faith moved their feet. They didn't respond, let's see if this angel knows what he's talking about. Let's see if God really knows what he's doing. Let's see if God is powerful enough to actually make this happen. Let's see if God, if, if it actually makes sense because I've seen plenty of, of babies wrapped in cloth They've been swaddled, but I've never seen a baby in a manger. So that doesn't make sense. If it doesn't make sense to me, it means that God doesn't make sense. So I have doubts that I'm bringing in. That's not the shepherd's response. They responded with expectant faith, saying, let's go straight to Bethlehem without delay. Their willingness and their readiness to move was a response of worship. And as they moved in faith, they witnessed what had been spoken to them. Confirming the presence of God through his messenger angel, these shepherds were moved to worship through their witness. That they didn't bottle it up and say, oh, wow, it's just as God showed and told us about. Check that out. Let's just keep this to ourselves. This wonderful act of God. But they they were excited. They experienced the delight and the great cheer. And they were delighted to share it with others. Do you see how the cluster of grapes are producing a fragrant and shared worship in this biblical story. But do you know that this is not just possible in this narrative, but that it's possible for you, that your worship can produce worship in those around you. That when you experience and encounter God and you start to see more reasons that he's worthy of your worship and you start to sing your song, you start to do your dance, you start to live in obedience and faithfulness because of your expectant faith and you say, God, you've shown up before and I know that you're going to show up again and I'm going to tell of how you've shown up before and I'm going to tell of how you're going to show up again because right now I have great faith. That when you do that, you give the people around you reasons to join in on your song. How many times have you been encouraged by someone else's worship through their obedience and their faithfulness, through their surrender? That maybe on your job, you've seen Christians letting their light shine and you said, man, I need to be doing the same. That maybe in your household, you see someone waking up in the morning, praying, getting in their word, spending their time with God, and it motivates and challenges you to do the same. That you've seen and experienced people who live unashamed of the gospel proudly boasting in their weakness, even though it sounds embarrassing, but they're glad to tell about how God has shown up and shown out in their life. And you say, man, I've got a story to tell as well. It might not be the same. It might not feel glamorous. But the point isn't to try to glamorize it. The point is to glorify my God. Our youth high school students have gone on mission trips to Baja, Mexico for the last two summers. And I've been just blown away by, on both trips, I had some of our most quiet students in our youth group coming to me saying, when can I share my testimony? Because they had seen their teammates 
They're brothers and sisters in Christ from our youth group who were boldly and proclaiming and sharing their testimony, sharing what, they, what God has done in their life. And that encouraged and sparked them. But then they also were experiencing witnessing the friends that they made from other churches that they had just met on this trip. And they're hearing of what God had done in their life. And they're going, oh, yeah, he's done that for me, too. I can tell my story. When do I get a turn? Your worship can produce worship and those around you. We'll close examining, putting more emphasis on this response of the shepherds at the end. In verses 17 through 20. After seeing them, they reported the message they were told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary was treasuring up all these things in her heart and meditating on them. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had seen and heard, which were just as they had been told. This is even more worship. They didn't just keep it to themselves and celebrate, but their worship extended as they shared the good news that they had received. They went with great joy and heart postures of worship, even so much so that Mary was encouraged. If they had kept their worship to themselves, Mary would not have received the confirmation of all that God had already told her. But instead they did. And it caused her to internalize and meditate and process and realize, God, you're continuing to show yourself as faithful. She had great reason to meditate that despite her circumstances, however mundane they may have been, no matter how unique they were, that she realized that God was working through all kinds of people and all kinds of events to accomplish his plan. And she was glad to be a part of it. And we have the same invitation. It's so important that we share our story, our experience of the good news, our experience of this great joy. It's so important that we recognize that because these angels and these shepherds, they realized that the birth of this Jesus, this Christ the child in a manger, that they had much reason to be glad, then how much more glad should you and I be since we know the resurrected King? We've gotten to see how the story continues. That yes, Jesus lived the perfect life and he died the death that you and I deserved, but the story didn't end there. The tomb was empty. He rose from the grave. We have great reason to share in this story, to share in this worship, to testify of his goodness as the Messiah. One of my favorite podcasts is called Southside Rabbi. It's by KB and Amin Hudson. I talk about this a lot with our staff, so if you ask them, they'll probably say, stop talking about it. But this podcast, there's an episode where they're talking about this, this book called Gentle and Lowly that eventually, or maybe already now, will be in our resource center. I didn't write it. I'm not saying give me money, to be clear. But this book, it, it beautifully challenges the reader to, first of all, be honest about our tendency maybe even as Christians, to look at the church around us and say, Christ loves you. That maybe we do go and witness and say, Jesus is the Savior that you need. He's there for you. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. That we can tell about this Jesus without internalizing his deep love for us. That for some reason we say Jesus is pursuing you, but we feel like he's stiff-forming us. He's speaking to this book and he's saying, listen, at the core of the heart of Jesus 
is excitement about sympathizing, rescuing, forgiving, and lifting, and encouraging, and empowering the sinner and the sufferer. It's not just a byproduct. It is the prime product of the heart of God. It's not a part of what he does. It is who he is. What Jesus is mainly for is redemption. He loves to give mercy. He loves to forgive us. He loves to encourage us. He loves to lift us up. He loves to make us holy. This is who Jesus is essentially to the core of who he is. He is a redeemer. And ideally, that's who we should be as well. What KB was was speaking to was this duality saying, hey, as those who have received this mercy, don't lose sight of the Jesus who offered it. Don't fail to see how much he loves you. Don't fail to experience this great joy that's attached to the good news that we sing about. Don't remove the love of Christ as he suffered for you. Don't sing these songs with empty lip service, failing to see that this Jesus is worthy of all the praise because of what he's done for you, but it's because of his character and his nature, sharing sharing the same essence of God, that it is God the Father who sent his son for you. That for our mission trips, when we're preparing our people to to share their testimony, we are very intentional to explain, don't go to Memphis, don't go to, to, to South Africa or to Mexico and tell people about In Focus Church. Tell them about Jesus. Tell them about this Savior who was patient with you that you ran away from for decades, but he all the while was pursuing you. Tell of his love for you, his compassion towards you. That when you feel lonely and abandoned by the people around you, that he shows up in ways beyond what you can imagine or fathom or expect. And he proves his love for you yet again. This is the good news of great joy. That because of this Jesus, we're made right in our relationship with God. We have intimate closeness with our Father. And we have a Savior that through his spirit lives in us forever. So right now, we have the opportunity to respond. Where I think that we can address this in in two different ways, that maybe you are someone who doesn't have this relationship yet. That maybe you are someone who maybe even thinks that they are a Christian because you do the Christian things. You came to church this morning. You maybe read your Bible beforehand. You pray before you eat. You do the Christian things, but detached from the relationship with Jesus, where you're trying to better yourself, thinking that you can earn the love of God, but you can't. And his invitation is here for you to step in and experience this good news of great joy that you don't have to try to earn it. It's already been offered to you. You just have to receive it. And if that's you, then cry out to him with the faith and the language that you know how. Tell him that you're a sinner in need of a savior, that you're tired of trying to earn his love, but that you're ready to receive it. That you turn away from the life that you've been living, making things work for yourself, and that you're ready and willing to submit to him and let him be your Lord. But maybe you've already done that. Maybe you have a relationship with Jesus, but you tend to settle for lesser joys. Maybe you celebrate things that, again, are worthy of celebration, but you celebrate them over your salvation. 
that in, in the Gospels we see the situation where Jesus had sent his disciples to go out and minister. And they came back saying, Jesus, we were proclaiming your name so much. So there's so much power attached to you, Lord, that demons had to obey us. And Jesus says, don't celebrate that. And he's, saying, he's not saying it's not worthy of celebration, but he's saying what you should celebrate is that your names are written in heaven. In other words, don't get so lost in doing the Christian things and doing good things for God that you fail to see and acknowledge and remember and cherish what has been done for you. So join me in prayer. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for who you are. God, I don't want us to miss this opportunity to respond this opportunity to, to worship you in spirit and in truth, not just by rushing to sing a song, but by putting our hearts low, by bowing down in surrender, by crying out to you, Father, and responding in whatever way that we should, that we know that we should, in response to you and your glorious nature, God. God, I pray that we will leave here changed because we have a better beholding and understanding of your nature, of your love, of your goodness, of your grace, of your patience, of your compassion, God, and that we won't lose sight of it. God, that if we tend to celebrate the lesser joys in life, God, that we will rightly surrender them underneath your goodness to send your son to die on the cross for us, that you gave your life for us, Jesus that we will celebrate the joy of our salvation. Lord, restore it to us for those who have forgotten. Thank you for listening to the In Focus Church podcast with Pastor Brent Gerard. In Focus Church is a multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Evans, Georgia, with a mission to love God, love people, and reach the world. Be sure to like, subscribe, and leave a rating wherever you are listening and follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at InFocusChurch. Church.